With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time for VUC. In our 11th year, with us on our journey this year, Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Greenfield Tech. Go to greenfield.tech and see how they can make your tech dreams both feasible and affordable. Our conference bridge is the best you'll ever find at zipdx.com. VUC.me is hosted on Bluehost. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are provided by voxphone.com. All right, you heard it right. This is VUC 660 in our 11th year. And Corrado just joined us. Let's have a hand of applause for Corrado. Uh, We are going to be talking about something that is a payment system, but not a crypto payment system. It's Toller, and Toller is represented today by Christian. We're going to welcome him, first of all. Thanks for joining us, Christian, and be sure to unmute. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, the reason you're here, as we were just talking about this, reminiscing about our famous RMS session, and Richard said, you've got to go see Toller. So we did, and we wrote, and uh, this is funny how both with Richard and with you guys, it was a probably 11-week process between the initial contact and the actual session. So I'm not going to delay it any further. Christian, you know that we ask people about, we're talking about Toller, by the way, is T-A-L-E-R dot net. Uh, won't delay this any further. We want to ask you right away the bio question, how did you get into technology? What brought you into it? What kind of intellectual curiosity made you do all this? Well, uh, I mean, I started very early. Uh, my father was an engineer, and uh, we had a computer at home when I was uh, six or seven years old. And around that time, I, of course, uh, you know, using those computers in the past of the Commodore 64, you kind of you know, started to do a little bit of typing and immediately have uh, to do a bit of programming. And uh, when I was like eight, I think uh, my father uh, got a first PC and uh, had a, a book on Pascal and started programming then and uh, started to write code to help me with my homework, uh, basically having my computer solve my math problems for me instead of me solving them every single time. And, uh, well, in high school, I you know, sold the software to uh, uh, other students, uh, pupils in the same classes, and, uh, well, then uh, studied math, learned about the Internet once I went to the university, and uh, then decided, uh, once I learned about the Internet, that it was uh, horrible and broken. And uh, in 2001, we then started the GNUnet project, where we're trying to build a network that is better for privacy and uh, more decentralized and all of, uh, you know, uh, addresses uh, the security issues that are on the Internet because it doesn't use crypto. And then in t- 2013, we knew that the uh, uh, payments uh, system was, of course, a big issue for the Internet. Uh, and at the same time, in 2013, uh, Trump's original patents on electronic payments uh, with digital coins had expired. And so it was the time that we could realize a free software solution for an electronic payment system. 
um, that wasn't encumbered by patents and that uh, uh, would satisfy our uh, ethical and social goals. And uh, very early on, at the around the same time, uh, I mean, was already maintaining a couple of new packages. So uh, was in communication with Richard, and he asked me lots of questions about various altcoins and bitcoins and so on. And I mentioned to him, well, look, you know, we, we've been working on this uh, Tala project here, and he was immediately uh, hooked. And uh, so we became, with the very first release, became GNU Tala. Um, and as part of uh, kind of an outgrowth of the GNU Net project, we're trying to rethink the internet. Um, yeah, that's roughly the path. Okay, perfect. By the way, what is the relation with Inria? Uh, very simple. Uh, we, uh, I changed job to become employed at Inria, and in, as part of my job application, I said I wanted to uh, develop Tyler into a, a, a viable uh, a product. And uh, they said, okay, we'll hire you for that. And uh, so they paid me for three years and uh, paid a software engineer for a year and a half in the end uh, and are still uh, hosting uh, my PhD student who is working on this. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's uh, where Inria comes from. So basically, uh, uh, not I mean, we had the technology kind of worked out, the protocols worked out, but doing the actual implementation was work we, I did while I was at Inria. Okay. Yeah, Inria is involved in lots of research. I think the R may even be research in Inria. What does Inria stand for? This is a test. Institut National de la Recherche en Informatique et Automatique. That's a French so national research lab. Right. So uh, and that's what they do. It's it's kind of encouraging to see to see uh, somebody's tax euros <laughs> going into something that uh, of interest because a lot of that goes. To it's, it's very funny. So it's uh, you know, uh, uh, lots of Americans immediately picked up on. Oh yeah, clearly it's the French paying for a system that has the name taxable in it. You know, because Tyler stands for taxable anonymous people electronic reserves and. The notion that one you know might want to pay taxes with a payment system is something that upsets quite a few Americans sometimes. Uh, and so. yet that's what's going to make it viable. Yeah, okay, so let's hear about this. Um, and we really need to have the, uh, as Randall Schwartz would say, the, the six-mile-up view of it. In other words, you have to start from the beginning of, of what this actually means, what kind of payments and so on. So how can we do that <laughs> from the ultimate beginner? From the ultimate beginner, I think the, the easiest way to think of it is, you know, cash, except for it's digital. So, uh, like when you, uh, from, from the user's perspective, right? So, from the user's perspective, it really behaves like cash. You get yourself an electronic wallet, which is just a piece of software you install. Uh, you go to your bank, just like you go to an ATM usually. You authenticate there. You withdraw your digital cash, just like you withdraw, you know, dollar bills. It's the same denomination. It's just a different representation set of numbers in your bank account. You have at the ATM physical cash, and now you have electronic coins. The electronic coins are stored on your computer in your wallet. If your computer gets stolen, you know, you lose your electronic coins. Um, of course, you can make backups and certain things you couldn't do with, you know, paper bills. But in principle, it's now on your computer, the value. Uh, but it still remains in dollars or euros or bitcoins. It doesn't quite matter. Um, and then when you go to a store, you effectively hand over the electronic coins. It's a bit different, slight differences there. Uh, and the store uh, uh, then has the money. The main difference uh, happens kind of at this point, which is that the store has to give the electronic coins back to the bank immediately. He can't go and pay the next store with them. And uh, so that, that's the difference to physical cash. And that's where the analogy breaks down. 
from that on point on, it becomes a bit more like a credit card payment where the store has to go to the payment processor and say, hey, I, I just got this money, you know, please send it to my bank account. And so the cash analogy is good because it shows as a customer, when you pay at a store, you don't have to authenticate, you don't have to show who you are. You can be anonymous, you can be untraceable, uh, you just spend your money. Whereas on the store side, we said, okay, we want to make sure that your income uh, is transparent to the state, that the state can say, okay, this is a legal business, I'm not going to be extorting somebody for unlocking their hard drive, which I encrypted with some malware. Uh, it's a legal business. Uh, the state, state can say you have to owe sales tax, you have to owe income tax. We don't say how high the taxes should be or what the, they should be for. We just say the state can see you got some money and make sure that it's legal. Um, and so in that sense, it's digital cash from the consumer side, but it's a bit uh, like a normal uh, digital payment system from the merchant side. Um, and the other differences are, of course, it's uh, we do use crypto. You said before, it's not cryptographic. Well, it's not a cryptocurrency because it doesn't create a new currency. There's no money creation. You still have to have uh, some central bank or some blockchain construction create your money somehow. Um, but what you do have in the end is you have cryptographic proof of what happened. So the merchant can prove that he got paid. You as the customer can prove that you did pay. You have a signed electronic contract between merchant and customer where both people have signatures on it. Except the customer doesn't sign with his identity. He signs with his coins. So use a bit of a trick here. When you spend coins, you actually sign with the coin saying, this coin is spent on this contract. And thereby, if you have that coin and you can prove possession of it, you can prove that you bought the item without having your identity tied to it. So that's the high level. And uh, okay. on the, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, that's a high level view. Anything that is technical, I think we should do the demo first. But if you had stuff that wasn't super technical, let's, we can go on with that. No, it's, it would be a bit more technical if you want to, you know, the, uh, the well, if for those people who know a bit about crypto, the uh, good privacy comes from the fact that we use blind signatures when we was drawing the coins. That's basically the patent that Sean had, uh, or the idea that Sean had in 1983, uh, and that was patented that one would use blind signatures there. Uh, so it's a very well understood old cryptography uh, that just was patented and that kind of limited adoption uh, for a long time, because anybody who would go into this market would effectively be blocked by the patent being owned by somebody, potentially suing them once they were successful. And of course, now that the patent has expired, we can implement this as free software and kind of try to establish a standard that is not owned by anybody, or it's just a protocol, just like the internet is an open protocol, and everybody can participate in this platform, and they're not going to be uh, uh, tying their business or their national economy to some company that can then charge arbitrary fees uh, uh, for doing something as fundamental as payment processing. Christian, could I ask you just to expand a little bit on the concept of blind signatures? Because it's something that I don't think everybody will have met yet. Sure. Uh, so a blind signature is basically like a normal digital signature, except for you don't know what you're signing. So you know that you signed one object, right? So it's a normal, in the end, it's a normal RSA signature. But what I do is I effectively, I take the value I want you to sign and I multiply it by a binding factor, give you that, and you can't, you can't compute back what the original value was without knowing this binding factor, which I'm not giving you. You sign it with your RSA key. It's actually a normal RSA signing process also in terms of costs there. You send me back the, the signature and I can kind of take the binding factor, operate on the signature, and get a signature over my original value. 
And then I have an RSA signature over effectively in our case, the public key of a coin. And you know that you issued one coin, but you don't know what the public key of the coin was that you just signed. And so you can effectively say, okay, I signed a five euro coin for Christian. So I you know, deduct one five, uh, five euros from his account and he has gotten one coin, but you don't know the serial number of the coin. We have music. So that's a blind signature. It's blind because you don't know uh, what you signed. And in this case, you know, all, all, you, all you care about is saying, I signed a coin. You don't care about what the serial number was. Is that clear? Muted. Yes, yes, that's very clear. <laughs> that was an excellent um, explanation of it. And, uh, uh, and now I understand how that can be used. Um, it's something I, I didn't understand before. So thank you for that, Christian. Sorry, Randy, uh, I inter interrupted your flow. Yeah, no, no, but I interrupted the flow because I never get phone calls here, and I just changed numbers. And um, so my phone rang, and I did a James. And James, you are now exonerated because you did nothing yet. You haven't done it yet. So if you keep a clean record, I'm going to send you a bottle of Sipsmith. Whoa. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think a lot of this will be more clear with the demo, but do we have other questions or issues to cover before we try to step through this? Because this will be something that, that anybody can do theoretically, the demo. So it's open. Yeah, and uh, those who are listening, they should follow along, right? Uh, try to right. Those of you who are listening, but <laughs> if you don't have video, if you don't have video, James is going to do hand signals through audio. Now, I, we're going to comment it, but the best thing to do is to go to taler.net, taler.net, and there's a very, in fact, I will show this now to the folks that are watching. You should use a, a, a recent browser. You know, uh, it works with very recent uh, Firefox or somewhat recent Chrome or Chromium browsers. And you should go to demo.taler.net. I'm actually taking it from the, from the, uh, the uh, base of the site. Uh, by the yeah, way, if you, you can't can find it from the links to you. If you can't find well, I just want to show where it is. But if you can't find it, just use your favorite uh, search engine, AltaVista, to do that. <laughs> little joke there. I hope there was some laughter. Okay, so I'm on this page. Can everybody see this? Guys, I am presenting, right? Yeah, yeah. You're on. Let's okay. Go. I had total silence. Yeah, I had to go well, back to look. We're all, all muted. Yeah, all right. Here we go. Well, good for you. Here we go. So I'm going to click on demo, which would have put me on demo.tala.net. There seems how many languages are there, Christian? Uh, like three, four hundred, but not available in translation yet. It's, I mean, we have uh, actual translation of the website into uh, Italian, Spanish, German, and very little of French, uh, which is a bit embarrassing given that it was largely under the French institution. But you know, uh, but uh, I think for this audience, the fact that it's available in English should be good enough, right? Totally, totally. And, and I want to add translations and simple get text PO files, you know. Let me know. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, get in touch if you want your language to be translated and you think you can help. Incidentally, the language selection, however it works, maybe by browser preference, uh, maybe by geo. I'll have to be in France to test this. But I was about to make a, a compliment, no, but then I realized that I'm in, I'm in the United States because I hate that when they do it by geo because if you're in Germany, you get no, no, it in we, Germany. We don't that's do anything by geo. We don't look at IP addresses. This oh, is, good. Uh, well, no, right, no, of course no. we would. All right, so we're on this. Here's how this is going. Okay, correct. This is on the demo page, and the first thing you need to do is to go to the to install the wallet on the wallet, the installation page. Now I've done this already, but I'll show you what happens when you go. It goes here. You select your browser, 
51 plus. I'm currently on 60. You click on the install wallet. It happens and it gives you a little T up in the bar. I'm going to just Wrong use the back button. All right. And then the next thing is to withdraw some coins. I'm looking for that link. Okay. And here's, that's what this looks like. We go to the bank. Just to make that clear. Account well, number 83. Is, what you didn't say, Randy, is when you uh, set the thing up, um, you get 100 kudos for free. I mean, they're, they're reasonably uh, useless, but um, you get 100 anyway for free. Just but that to, is generous. Very, it is, it is very extremely generous. generous of you, Christian, to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is our ICO, right? Everybody who creates an account on the bank page gets 100 kudos for free. Now, just to be clear, you basically are lacking a banking license, right? So if you want to do this in dollars, you kind of need to talk to you know, the Federal Reserve and other people to have a banking license. Uh, otherwise, you'd end up in jail. And because we didn't want to end up in jail, we preferred to put in kudos and figured people wouldn't confuse that for euros or dollars. Um, but in the end, uh, once we have worked out the legal paperwork and we're trying to get that done, uh, it should be that you can go to your not regular bank there or send money to the payment service provider uh, or use a credit card or whatever, and then you would have dollars there or euros there or whatever else. Right. right. And I um, did not have to register. You actually have to register and get an account before you do this. And that, that was the point of, um, Christian, you were telling me about re-initializing re the browser. I probably should have used an incognito window to do this. But anyway, I already did register. It's a very quick and simple process. And now I'm yeah, going to withdraw. We're not really asking for anything. Again, it's a privacy project. We just we show what it would look like, right? Right. No, I, I got that. And it's a good thing you underlined it like that. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to now select my exchange provider. And I am not going to change it. I don't know. Does something happen if I click on the change? Probably not. Of course, something happens. Oh, uh, okay. Let's basically, see. you're wow. allowed to put in a different URL in case there are multiple providers. Right? It's like you know, a change between MasterCard and Visa card. The only thing is there's only one running that will accept right. kudos from this bank. <laughs> Which makes sense. So back to this. And now I'm going to accept the fees. By the way, the fees will be shown as so. It's like so. Good. And what was the other? And, and just to be clear, the fees are fully configurable, and we just put in some, you know, seemingly random numbers to uh, make it uh, an illustration of that there could be fees for various operations that happen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. And the overview, the sorry, the auditor details are here. So this is kind key. of the, the uh, root of your of the public key infrastructure, like the certificate authorities that are in your browser. Uh, and this auditor is installed the public key as part of your wallet when you initially install it for the kudos currency. So basically, uh, your browser says, okay, this is the regulator for kudos, um, just like whatever the US Federal Reserve might be for US dollars or the European Central Bank might be for euros. And if, if that auditor has said this exchange is okay, we're, we're checking their books, we're making sure they operate correctly, they are licensed to operate. Uh, you can trust them with your money. Uh, that's why you don't get a stern warning here saying, do you really want to work with this exchange? And we've decided that we will. So let's go to accept fees and withdraw that sum, impressive sum of 20 kudos. I don't think I've ever had 20 kudos before. This will be a first. Then there's a little check of robotics. To prove that you are the account owner, please answer the following security question. Seven. What is Seven. four plus three? Oh, thank you. God, I, so embarrassing. I couldn't tell. Real bank, yes, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, wouldn't it be funny to go like four plus three and see if it's interpreted? No, it's not funny. Uh, I answered that, but it says a real bank should ask for a PIN or a TAN. What's TAN? A transaction number, a, sing, a unique oh. number that authorizes a single transaction. Okay. And by the way, we're at a good point to ask this. Is this, would this be linked ever with security, which isn't great security, like getting an SMS with that TAN? That, that, this depends completely on the bank. You know, you're back on the bank side. If you look at the URL, uh, now you're back on the bank side. And mm -hmm. so the bank can play whatever authentication game it wants to play, be it SMS 10, be it, uh, you know, a PIN, be it, you know, having some external calculator. Uh, we don't, this is really no longer Tyler uh, core, right? This is whatever the bank, you have to tell your bank to authenticate uh, and approve a particular transaction. So this, this page is the bank's page? Yes, you can see in the URL on top, this is the bank's page. The page before right. was the wallet's page, right? I mean, the user doesn't really have to know this, but as a, as a techie, of course, understand that you care. Right. No, but I mean, when you, whenever you do e-commerce, e uh, you eventually do end up at somebody's bank page. Okay. And the withdrawal was, improved, was approved, and I now have 79 kudos. Now I can bank. go... So this is yeah. what you have back now, in the bank. Now you should click on the logout button. Top right. Oh, really? Just to well, I was going to go to donations. Still associated with the bank, right? So at this point, you could go over tour. You could, you know, you, 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 it's no longer going to be associated with your username. You know, the electronic right. coins are in your wallet, and there's no more any tie to your bank account uh, from the payment service provider's perspective in the future. And I should have actually logged out before. Now that I think of it, so if we want to go make a donation. Wait a minute, how does this work? I have to, so where's the you login? Should, you should go to, 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 the, to the essay shop first, come on. Okay. Well, we don't want to give Richard any money. Everything to be oh, free. Why not give him kudos, though? Just give him some kudos. He'll like that. All right, well, that's true. So where is that link to give him the kudos? No, no, no. Look, this is, uh, this is the idea is that you are a journalist, and you are a starving journalist. You wrote yourself a book, and you're trying to sell your book, right, or your articles. Right, and we have all of these paywalls are popping up, and the question is, what would what should a paywall of the future look like? You know, how should you pay for the New York Times in the future? Right, all right. So scroll down, and you know, this is kind of like the front page of your New York Times. You know, these are all the articles that the starving people wrote, and you know, now I decide, okay, I want to read the article. Now, uh, don't scroll so fast. You know. Yeah, sorry, I was uh, hoping to. <laughs> you know, selling free software, doesn't that sound like the right topic today? Or pick the this free one? software definition, always great, whatever. Ah, so now, me. basically now the, the shop says you have to pay for it. And look, if you look on the, in your, in your, in your uh, URL bar on top, it says Chrome extension, da, 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 da. This is your wallet speaking now to you, right? So the site effectively answered with a 403, uh, 402 payment required status code. Mm -hmm. And uh, told the wallet, this is what the user wants to buy. Uh, show him that, you know, if he wants to see this page, he has to pay 0 0.1 kudos. Um, and the contract includes additional details like which payment service providers the, the, uh, uh, the site is willing to deal with. In this case, only one. Um, and you as the user now have to confirm with the one click uh, whether your wallet should pay this amount to this company for this contract. Are we ready to commit to point one kudos? Throw all caution to the wind. There was a little thing that happened there, but then uh, there was a quick uh, flash of something. Yeah, you can see this I in a second. I'll show you how you get back to it. So you know, so you you, you bought your article, you get shown it. 
Now, if you click on the back button. Back. Oh, back, but back of the browser. Yeah, see, you already paid for this article. So if oh. you bookmark this page by accident or whatever, it, would, it tells mm -hmm. you, you know, but you already paid for it, so you don't have to. You can click again on this, and you won't pay twice. Right. Right. And so, since the moment the payment happened, the page kind of changed. Now, if you go back one more, you know, uh, buy another article. You know, so sometimes okay. it's a bit too one? fast for the audience, given that they're used to this credit card processing oh. payments. Right? And okay. you can buy five articles in the time you do one credit card. How about the manifesto? Actually, the, uh, the, the, the flow is remarkably similar to that of a credit or debit card transaction, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's very similar. Well, simpler, I would say, though. You know. Well. It's actually, no, it's actually, I find it to be very similar. I do a lot of, well, and we all do a lot of payment online. Okay, the, this is also only 0.1 kudos. Wow, the prices in this place are excellent. Uh, just, oh, wait a minute. Sorry, just a clarification, Christian. Who is making uh, or taking that 0.1 kudos? It's the bank, isn't it? Uh, the merchant is receiving the payment from you. Yes. So basically your wallet signs, take, takes, takes a coin, signs it over to this, attaches to this contract and sends the uh, coin to the merchant and the merchant sends it to the exchange and the exchange confirms it's valid, everything is fine. And then the merchant marks it in database, you've paid for the contract and gives you your goods. Okay, uh, but it's the exchange that is taking the commission on this. Uh, the exchange would take a commission on it. That depends on the fee structure. Yeah. So it, it, in many ways, it's not dissimilar to the way uh, the credit card or debit card fee structure works in, in that the, um, the credit or debit card company takes a fee for processing the transaction. Yes, it's exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, and it's also the protocol, uh, the merchant effectively says, I'm willing to cover fees up to whatever, 0.01 kudos. And if you picked an exchange provider that had higher fees, um, then uh, the wallet would tell you, well, you know, the fees, the best fees I can come up with based on what you have in your wallet is 0.5 kudos. And the wallet only covers 0.3. Do you actually want to cover the purchase price plus 0.2 kudos uh, to have all the fees? Right. So if you if the if you you have an incentive to pick an exchange uh, as a customer that has low fees because if you pick a, a very expensive uh, provider then you might end up paying the fees as the customer. Indeed, right. and this this so like with credit cards, where if you have a credit card that is you know charging too high fees, the merchant may not accept it in, in many cases. In this case, the answer would be that uh, it would simply be added to your purchasing cost. Yeah, one immediate advantage I can see of this is that it should be a lot cheaper and easier to set up um, an exchange. So um, one, of the, one of the big issues with a, with a current uh, credit debit card system is that you actually have to be relatively large uh, in order to set up that exchange mechanism, and that costs a lot of money. Therefore, the prices are kept artificially high. With this, the cost of setting up an exchange, I would imagine, is considerably lower. Therefore, there can be a lot more competition. Is that correct? It should be considerably lower. Of course, you always have the regulatory costs, right? So, so just the banking licensing issues you won't get around because you're still a financial service provider. What is more important, you have much lower costs as the merchant because there is no PCI DSS. Nothing can happen here. You as a merchant cannot cheat. There's cryptography that protects you. There's no possibility of fraud from the customer. The customer cannot, you know, have his credit card details stolen because he's not, you know, identifying himself. 
So because there's no possibility of fraud from the merchant or the customer short of them being able to, you know, break uh, the cryptography, um, the operation is much cheaper on that side. And of course, it's an open standard, it's free software, which means we don't have this monopoly effect of MasterCard, Visa card controlling the market. Now, if you go back to the screen demo uh, for a second, I want to show you one more thing. Don't see screen sharing enabled yet. Okay, wait a second. You mean I'm not sharing the screen anymore? Yeah, now, now you're sharing the screen. Yes, if you go back to the essay shop for a second. So already went further. Oh, essay, sorry. No, because I was trying to uh, get a, an incognito yeah, so, window. So, so go click right. on the free software definition again. Right. Because one of the things that, no, don't share the screen while you do it. Now you screwed it up. Nobody could see what happened. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where's the hangout? Am I not sharing the screen, folks? Now you're sharing the screen, but uh, the, the moment where you did something, where you clicked on only it. When it uh, only when you're, you're speaking. You're not I must locked have in. Had, yeah, I must have had the focus disappear. Okay. But now you've got it. So go back. Now it's not. Back to this? Yes. Now click on whatever, the GNU Manifesto, one of the articles you already bought. Mm-hmm. You notice something missing? Yeah, apparently it's not asking me to pay because I already paid. Exactly. So now what is also interesting, if you took the, the link uh, of the shop and sent it to one of your colleagues, um, it would ask the colleague to pay. Right. So now this, we can do that because I have the incognito window. So let me... Yeah, but so, so you see, it works very nicely. You can bookmark the page and go back to it without problems. Uh, you can share the link with somebody else, and then you know they would effectively ask to pay. So this works really nicely with the web. That was right. the only thing I wanted to show. Okay, uh, there was another thing that was going to be that it was interesting that I uh, got while we need to go back here. While I was looking at other things, is to go do something that I haven't bought. Are these chapters or are these are papers that I can buy? Right. Yeah. There seems to be a blizzard happening here. Hold on a second. Let's try something else. Yes, whilst we're doing that, it's just worth flagging up. We've got some reasonably good questions popping up in, in IRC. Okay, let me see hmm. if I can change my screen to make it happen. Let me go up higher. Uh, try one of these. How about the forward? That's, is that for sale? Okay, these don't seem to be coming. Nope. See, there's an initial... Are we getting, are we getting a DDoS attack right now? <laughs> yeah, everybody, all of you see. No, an uh, interesting thing, because I just realized what this is that, that flashes, and that is uh, a request for a CC number and so on. I don't know where that's coming from. Probably well, that's basically, if your wallet doesn't intercept the 402 request for some right. reason, uh, then we render the, it renders the browser renders the normal body of the page, which is the credit card payment. So if you were to uninstall your wallet, um, then uh, mm -hmm. uh, that is what would show. And that... I was fooling around with the, uh, while you were speaking, I was fooling around with the incognito window and I wanted to show, uh, but I'd have to change the focus here. So I wanted to show the registration process, which takes just a second. And if you don't register, then it shows that exact screen that I've already seen, the one about what's your CC number and so on. I don't seem to be able to get these to come up though. Ah, no. See, it flashes and then the page yeah, isn't. Going on there right now. See, see what happens on my side. Can I say that I have that blank page myself? I'm playing around, and the same thing happens to me. I have an idea of what's going on. Give me a second, guys. Okay. okay. Is it well, well James? Yeah, worthwhile uh, just going back to IRC and just asking these quick questions because we've got some good. Yeah. 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 So Jervin on IRC has asked, "Can I assume that if you have multiple browsers on your PC?" 
that you should stick to one browser in order to avoid having multiple wallets. Is that correct? Uh, well, so, so the wallet is tied to the to the individual browser instance. Is that correct? Well, now that is absolutely correct. Uh, of course, in the future, we do want to um, uh, uh, have a way to synchronize wallets across devices and um, uh, enable you to share uh, your state across uh, different uh, machines, be it mobiles, be it browsers, or whatever. Okay. Well, interestingly, Bong Frog also on IRC, asked the same question, but we're using slightly different words. So he just asked, the common user now has his currency tied to a particular instance of the browser. Yeah, that could be a problem for people like me who tend to have lots of different browsers, and then I would instantly forget which browser I've got my wallet in. and I'd Which browser having... and which device? Yeah, yeah, yeah I have multiple devices as well, which is a yeah, bit so, of a so basically our plan is that for, I mean, this is still, you know, version 0 0.3. And uh, for, for uh, the, the, the version 1.0, what we want to have is that uh, when you install the wallet, uh, it basically uh, gives you a way to create a synchronization code, which you, you know, add if you install a new wallet on another device, you can give it to that other device. And then the two wallets will be kept in sync. Uh, by talking to some cloud service uh, where uh, uh, an encrypted ver version of your wallet is uh, stored, right? So that's the last to happen. And one of the ways of managing this would be just to keep very little or no money in your, in your wallet until you really need it. You just drop it in there in order to make that transaction. That, that's not exactly what you want to do because... Uh, if you, you get good anonymity properties, good privacy properties out if you withdraw some time ahead and keep a small balance in your wallet. But on the other hand, you also do not want to keep a huge balance in your wallet. So you wouldn't want to keep you know, your personal wealth in your wallet. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin forces you to have everything in your wallet, but here the idea is you, it's treated like cash, right? You have enough in your wallet balance for your daily expenses, uh, you know, and if you have two physical wallets because you like to keep things separate, you know, between business and private maybe, uh, then you know, obviously have two wallets, uh, but don't uh, carry a huge balance in your wallet. But on the other hand, also don't just withdraw the you know, 14 euro 25 when you are going to pay 14 euro 25, because then of course it's very easy to correlate uh, uh, your purchase with your withdrawal and then you don't get good privacy out of it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Andy, you had, had a question as well. Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, at the moment, I think you've, you've pretty much answered this already. Oh, what I'm expecting to, to the answer to be I mean, by saying that, that you're at 0 0.3. So we're, we're rel relatively early in the development cycle. But how, how do you see this working on mobile? Do you, do you see people using this on mobiles or only on, on uh, PCs? Well, we started with the PCs because let's say that the web environment is a bit more uh, friendly to what we wanted to do. On the other hand, it's also a bit more challenging to actually integrate this very nicely with the HTTP protocol and uh, the various constraints browser security imposes on you. Uh, but in principle, you can pay over NFC as well. Uh, you just wouldn't get an HTTP 402 required uh, a payment required status code. You would have to uh, talk to uh, your merchant terminal. And there the problem is, of course, we would have to uh, convince the various uh, point of sale systems uh, vendors to uh, enable Talar as a payment method there. But in principle, it would be the same way that you receive the contract uh, from the sales terminal and on your mobile phone you get shown the contract, you approve it, it sends the payment and then the point of sales terminal says, okay, thank you very much. 
And now there's two variants of this. If uh, you have a, a situation where the merchant is not online, you could tell this to your mobile phone and say, by the way, I don't have internet right now. If you have internet, please, you process the payment with the exchange and give me the cryptographic proof that you did process it. Then you wouldn't send the coins to the merchant. The merchant would deposit them, but your mobile phone could also deposit them at the exchange and only hand over the proof that it paid to the merchant. So this can also work if the merchant is offline and your mobile phone is online. Okay, that, that, that's that's interesting. So, so more or less, it, you, you're saying that that, that Tala could, could become an Apple Pay, um, an Android Pay, in much the same way as as Android or Apple devices. You use the, those payment methods on them today, except for the oligopoly and the you know uncompetitive high fees that are likely to appear if you have an Apple Pay that is used to charging thirty percent for an Apple Store. Uh, so. With here, with having an open standard and free software and having privacy, it won't be feeding the monster that we have created uh, in the form of uh, Google and Apple. It would be something that would be way more socially friendly than whatever these systems could possibly evolve into. At least you would hope that that would be the case, yes. However, I, I can I could also see, see people adding charges to this and, and setting up exchanges. Well, of course, charges you can add to this, but... If it's an open standard and anybody could operate an exchange and you decide to charge 30% fees and all I have to do is get myself a, a, a legal right to operate, uh, to compete with you, uh, uh, you can't set your fees too high because then you'll get competition. Whereas if, if you have a, a Apple Pay and you control the hardware, you control the device, you control the protocol, you've got patents all over this stuff, um, then it's very, very hard for any competitors to enter this market. You have to be one of these, you know, uh, top 10 big companies to even play in that market to push yourself into it. Whereas if we have a comments, if it's a free software implementation, where look, the exchange code is a Faro GPL. You can take it, you can download it, you can run it. And if you're legally uh, allowed to operate it, you know, then you can immediately go. And that's going to be a huge difference in terms of creating a competitive field here. Okay. Um, I also have an another question. It's about browsers. Um, I, I realize that, uh, again, we're at 0 0.3, so, so uh, that there's much more to come. Are you, you planning support for uh, Safari and Edge? As far as I know, it works on Edge already. Um, I I've, uh, not ha don't have a Windows system. You know, I'm a GNU, <laughs> so I can't really test it. <laughs> uh, but if you go to the, I mean... Can someone try it? On the web page, it says it works already for Opera. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I think on Edge, there was one problem with the, with the Taller uh, 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 menu icon that didn't render. But as far as I see, we had developers that said it, you can withdraw with it. You can pay with it. Uh, you just can't see a transaction history under Edge. So it's uh, partially there. Um, and so the, the real question is, uh, for Safari, do you think Safari will support web extensions? And if not, then the, the next question is, uh, I have no idea how to develop on Safari. I've never used it. Uh, but in principle, if we have enough money uh, to fund that development, of course, we want to be everywhere. I thought you might say something like that. And I have no idea how you do it on Safari either. So. But I mean, look, we, we go by, you know, what is the easiest and biggest uh, things to support first, right? And then the idea is to branch out into supporting everything as much as possible. I guess at this point, Chrome is the number one, correct? So that makes us a good starting point. Uh, I just uh, wanted I would to have said back. web extensions is the number one because it's uh, very very widely supported, and uh, the differences between the the Chrome and Firefox wallet are pretty much in the packaging 
-hmm. and not in the actual code behind it. Okay, let me just set this uh, so it doesn't lose the focus. And I'm presenting to everyone just to show that once you've installed the wallet, which is indeed a one-click, at least at the Chrome store, I'm going to go withdraw coins. And this is the part we didn't see before. So I go to the, click on the link that says bank, and it asks for my login. And since I don't have a login on the incognito, uh, where is it? Register link. I click register. Thought I did. Now, here's the extensive personal information that you're giving. I'll put my first name and my password. Yeah, see, we're not going to get a basic license that's collecting that information from people. Of course. And my password, for anyone who wants to know, is password. Of course, now everybody can log in. Anyway, registration successful. Now I've got 100, the 100 kudos. And then we already showed this part uh, of the amounts. Now, there was another thing I wanted to go back to, Christian, on the other which I have to change the presentation. And that was the five euro, the five kudo, look at me, the five kudo um, exception, right? Because there's a very special thing. Ah, yes, 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 yes. So, so basically what we wanted to show is that if you, if you buy in a normal store with your credit card, it shows you one thing on the web and what it does uh, with the payment processing could be something completely different, right? Um, and let's see. So let's see if I can make you, this happen. As, you know, I have to go to donations. You're totally on the wrong thing now. Oh, okay. Sorry. It was donation. All right. We'll go there. Right. Because there's no five euros. There's no, I keep saying euros. I'm so used to it. Donate. All right. We're going to go to five. Now we go to donate. And again. So this is where we could show that if you want to have an interaction where you want to pick a payment method. Right. But now, so basically. Oh, uh, you added one, one kudo. Oops. By the way, the there's no cancel. You have to use the back button. There is no cancel. Yeah, that's, yes, yes. But I'm not going to accept because somebody stuck an extra kudo in there. So I guess I have to go back. All right. In that case, if you're going to be that way, we'll go for one. Well, stay stay for we one. Already, stay for one second right. on the uh, on the intermediate page here. There's a little bit to be said here as well. So. On this page, obviously, you can show that you can ask the uh, customer if he wants to pay by a credit card or by a TALA or some other payment method before uh, proceeding with the payment. And, and what is relevant here is uh, that if the TALA wallet is not installed, we basically expose one bit of information to the website. That is, is the wallet installed or not? So you could hide the option TALA if TALA is not available for your customer. So mm. you, you know... Some websites are implementing, you know, 20 payment methods and they go and say, well, if we implement 21, that's getting a user interface nightmare. And so we decided we give you one bit of information we expose from the wallet extension to the website, which is that the wallet extension is present. And you can uh, check that with uh, either JavaScript or with CSS. So you can just uh, add to your class list in, in the HTML, uh, show this element or hide this element depending on the wallet being there or not. And that's the other important thing is you can disable JavaScript in your browser, and the payment will still work. Okay. Um, so I think we kind of showed pretty much every step, although uh, albeit not quite in order. But um, if you are listening to this and you're curious or you're totally lost, you'll have to go to YouTube to check it out. Very interesting. Uh, other questions on IRC or on uh, ZipDX or in your minds panel? Everybody's muted, right? You should yeah, the, be. Yeah, the obvious question to ask here is what has to be done in order to implement this in real life? Implement this on which side? Well, what do you mean by in real life? I'm not sure. Well, this is real life. Well, no, commercially. The so store. At the, yeah, at the moment, we have a, a demonstration system here which ably um, shows how the system 
could work in a commercial, in a real world um, de de deployment. Um, but until somebody sets up a real um, payment gateway, an exchange, then it's not going to be real. So what is needed to set up that payment exchange and actually start um, making payments using this system? Okay, well, you basically need two things. Uh, you need to have uh, the business license, the banking license or whatever financial payment service provider license that you, you know, obtain from your respective government. Uh, or in the case of Bitcoin, you just uh, skip that step, you know, but then you're in a cryptocurrency. That's one of the advantages of not having regulation. It has disadvantages too. Uh, but basically, you, you need to, you know, pick a currency and get your legal stuff together. And then the second thing is uh, the uh, exchange has what we call a wire plugin. And so the wire plugin is how you interact with the existing banking system. And it has to implement two basic functions, which is to see what transactions have been made to you. So you can see what money you got uh, from customers that basically withdrew money at the bank. And the other thing is uh, you have to be able to execute transactions to pay to the merchant. So the one is kind of the pay to see the payments that went into your escrow accounts from the banking system. And the other one is to make payments from your escrow accounts to the merchant. So you have to implement those two functions, uh, which is, you know, the most trivial implementation you can think of. You know, the one is in case of uh, Bitcoin is watching your blockchain or the other one is in case of a normal bank is see my incoming transactions. And the other one is make a transaction. So once you've implemented those two functions, uh, and a couple of very, very simplistic uh, helper functions like uh, rounding. Uh, so uh, in case of dollars, you can only pay at the smallest innovation in cents in the banking system. So if Tala supports paying sub-cent payments, you have to say, well, the smallest I can actually deal with in the banking system is a cent. Right? So those kind of things you have to uh, specify, but those are trivial. Um, then you can uh, hook it up to the banking system and uh, pay in what you call real life with it. And Obviously, you also have to uh, convince stores uh, to support it. And if you go to docs.taler.net, we have documentation for how to set up uh, what we call the merchant backend, which does the crypto for you, and then provides you with a RESTful API for doing the payment processing. Um, and then we have tutorials for how to do front ends uh, right now for Python and PHP on that website um, that explain to you how you would integrate this with your store. Like you have to send this forward to payment required request uh, uh, response back to the web uh, browser. Uh, and of course, uh, we do have also documentation how to set up the exchange on that site already. So that sounds remarkably simple. Well, then uh, do it. Well, well, I would if I was a bank, but I'm not. Um, but then again, perhaps I could be a mobile network operator and a bank, because the great thing about mobile network operators is they, they're quite good at taking money off people. Um, <laughs> but interesting thought. So, uh, yeah, so... What you need then, Christian, is somebody who is a bank or somebody who is very much into cryptocurrency to come along and actually do no, this. Cryptocurrency. Well, okay, cryptocurrency. If you want to hook it up to a cryptocurrency, yes. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, something that there was the cryptocurrency. You basically have to have somebody who is good enough to do it technically and uh, crazy enough to try to do it legally without going to jail. Because of course, you have the risk that you know this thing might be outlawed. They might accuse you of. Uh, operating illegally and cryptocurrencies aren't necessarily legal in all countries anymore. So there's some risk there. Yeah, indeed. I, 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 I'm very interested because normally we have the odd banker or two uh, listening in on this. Um, and I just wonder whether our favorite Swiss banker 
is actually listening there um, in the background. No, no, no. For, for the bankers, I should say that basically because when you withdraw, you have to authenticate. So we satisfy know your customer regulation. When you spend, the receiver is known and uh, accountable to the state. So this satisfies anti-money laundering regulation. And because it's uh, privacy by design and data minimization in, all of, in every aspect of the protocol, we also satisfy the European General Data Protection Regulation uh, that requires these things starting in 2018. So we designed the system to be, in fact, compliant with regulation. Okay. I think this sounds pretty – well, it is, it is very clever. And, and a big part of the cleverness in this, Christian, is the simplicity of the system. Um, so um, I have to admit, I, I skipped one tiny point of the simplicity of the system that we had to fix. Uh, basically, when you look back to the Charm system of 1983, one of the things he couldn't do is he couldn't give change. So you had to have the right coins, so it's the right denominations in the system. And so one of the really cool things is that we can do change, we can give you refunds, we can handle protocol aboards, and that's all because we did some more fancy things to the crypto. But the great thing is you as the user never have to understand any of that. Okay. To me, it sounds like you've got a brilliant idea um, all set up here. How are you going to sell it? Are you going to sell it? Well, the idea is that uh, we write it as free software. We're trying to uh, find or create an operator for the system. Um, and then, of course, the operator will run on fees. And then, you know, there's always uh, services and support, uh, be it developing it for more platforms, helping the operator run it, tuning performance, and so on. Um, and so that's what uh, the community then has to do. I understand. Yeah, it's one of the money to be made from fees, even if the fees aren't necessarily as high as 30% that you know, some other providers might start charging eventually. Indeed. Yes, it's uh, one sorry. of the... Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry no, no. You go, yeah, you go. I have probably the usual very geeky question with going in deep in the, in the uh, protocol. You mentioned that you use an HTTP 402 payment required uh, for uh, the extension to capture the request for payment, uh, Christian. Uh, does that... Is that affected by any kind of DNS resolver or any filters that might be in a home router that captures any kind of HTTP request that is not a proper OK request and tries to redirect to somewhere else or present a user-friendly page? I am not aware of uh, any of these devices interfering with HTTP status codes uh, willy-nilly. I mean, this is 402 is a very standard HTTP status code. Um, that, you know, it's, it's ancient. I mean, it's 402 after all, right? Uh, and uh, so I'm not aware of anything. But of course, you can imagine that there might be something that interferes. Uh, now, the 402 is the easiest way. If you have JavaScript enabled in the browser and you don't want to have this, you know, you want to have this web page that never reloads, you can also trigger a payment with the wallet by doing the right JavaScript uh, invocation. Basically, the extension adds a couple of functions to your page that you could call, uh, uh, but uh, the 402 method uh, tends to be the fastest and uh, most convenient method to trigger it. Uh, and uh, it also usually works if JavaScript is disabled, so it works, as far as I can tell, for more people uh, than any other method. Because I was looking at the uh, settings in my Chrome uh, settings in the advanced setting, and there is a number of things that could interfere, like use a web service to res help resolve navigation errors that is disabled on my browser. 
but it might be enabled on uh, by default on Chrome, and that might uh, read any 400 errors and try to present a user-friendly page uh, to the end user instead of presenting the real page that is coming from the server. That would be very strange for a couple of reasons. For two is defined as, you know, the body is normal HTML or whatever, so, and yeah. this is what the user should see. There's no indication that this is a, a, a page that the user shouldn't be seeing. Um, and also the, yeah. the work payment interest group actually is the one where we got the suggestion from uh, from the consortium where we're participating in standardization efforts uh, around electronic payments, that 402 would be a good status quo to trigger this. So, yes, yes. Yeah. again, I, I don't see a reason why web browsers should interfere with this. Uh, I see many reasons for, for browsers to interfere with simplifying things for the end user, you know, uh, but <clears throat> that, that is another completely different matter. Uh, uh, you might probably need to take care that your extension is uh, putting any hooks before any other hooks uh, or any other extension or uh, the browser itself does in case of navigation errors? Well, we do install the hook to uh, apply very early on, obviously. Uh, I, I can't say if we put it in front of every other extension right now. But we have not seen any problem with that. Uh, the other thing we did study is we, we looked at um, statistics on how often HTTP status codes occur on the web today and 402 pretty much never occurs. Almost nobody is using it. So if you look at you know millions of HTTP requests, you're likely to find zero 402 requests, uh, at least unless you, people start using our demo a lot. Uh, and so again, why would you interfere with something nobody is using? Um, and the nice thing is it also means that if there is a 402, we pretty much are guaranteed that now we really want to target the Tala logic, which means also the most efficient way to test uh, uh, for uh, us to do anything, and that way the inter extension does not interfere with normal page load times. Uh, I'm waiting for Randy to come up with the usual uh, title for our, another podcast that I, we might do, Shit Chrome Broke This Week, but there, it's always a possibility, you know. I think it's a particularly pragmatic way of, uh, uh, of going forward, this, just um, hijacking the 402 for the purpose which it was um, reserved for in the first, first purpose. Yeah, I, exactly. I, 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 quite, I quite like it. It's, it's cool. If you look on Wikipedia on the, on the uh, HTTP status codes, 402 is expressly defined as payment required, reserved for future use, and there's a mention of GNU new Taylor. Uh, oh, that, 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 we didn't put it. That's cool. Yeah. You're mentioned on the uh, HTTP status codes on Wikipedia. Oh, I missed that. Can you drop I, a li link to that in the uh, in the IRC? Absolutely, absolutely. I will. Since no, since no one is reading the IRC, uh, I, oh, I well, I am. For, I had to be absent for a second. Was the question asked about the languages on the API? No. Okay. What are the available languages on the API? Uh, the API documentation is currently only in English. Uh, we oh, have enough. Uh, how do you talk to it? It's what are the different? Oh, oh, okay, okay. Sorry, uh, you mean programming languages? I thought you meant documentation yes, languages. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Programming so, language. What, what, uh, or frameworks or whatever the systems are? How do you talk? Okay, to so, it? so the backend itself uh, uh, is right now written in uh, uh, C code and has a RESTful API. So you talk to the backend over HTTP. And, uh, but it also has a, a C library API with a header, so you can also theoretically just, you know, instead of using a RESTful API, just call uh, uh, some C functions, and that if you 
for some reason don't like the RESTful thing uh, or don't want to implement that yourself and you prefer calling C, C directly, you could do that as well. Um, and then for the front end, we have tutorials for how to call the RESTful API in Python and PHP. Uh, but we do want to eventually have tutorials for other languages. Uh, but it's just a question of writing the tutorial for whatever Java, C Sharp, and God knows what. And you know, you have to have somebody on the team who reasonably knows how people should do RESTful API requests and how to integrate this uh, uh, in that language and do it uh, in the whatever style of that language. And uh, you know, we, we welcome contributions to how to write a front end for anything, pretty much. But this is not a question of what language is supported, given that if you're writing a web front end and you can't make a RESTful request, OK, you're in a somewhat restricted environment. If you then can't call C code either, OK, maybe pick a different front end for now. <laughs> yeah, Visual Basic. Anyway, um, definitely a good thing to have examples. But I presume you can test with curl right off. You can test yeah. those requests with curl, right? Yeah, wow. of course, of course, of course. So, you I mean, that's something use. that somebody could do right now if they wanted to, correct? In principle, yes. It's probably a bit painful. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the RESTful API basically uses uh, JSON uh, uh, in the communication, unless it's all in the URL. Um, and, you know, yeah, I have to copy and paste together your, 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 your curl request together. It's a bit painful. So, you know. <laughs> Some people like that kind of gratification of, hey, I'm talking to the API. I mean, I've done that many times, and I'm sure everybody else has. It's when you're too lazy to actually write the code. Is this thing going to work? And then you start stuffing different values into it and see what happens. Anyway, other questions on, a on IRC? James is wa faithfully watching the IRC. I don't think anybody's looking at Twitter, but we don't usually get questions there. And YouTube comments are turned off because that is kind of a very basic level of commenting that we don't particularly want to read. Questions? Too bad Maxime isn't here, our Swiss banker, regular. Well, there don't appear to questions. be anything else on the IRC. Um, and I've run out of questions. So I don't know about anybody else. As have I. Christian, are we missing anything? What else is there to say that we haven't said yet, except that you're looking for help in various areas, like translation? What else? Um, well, I, I should mention that uh, we are talking to uh, another very interesting project, uh, namely the Pretty Easy Privacy Project which is trying to make email encryption as easy to use as we make payments easy to use. Uh, and well, so they yeah, are basically... That, sorry, that's hmm? a fasc fascinating uh, uh, project because uh, for those of us who've spent many months struggling with PGP, uh, you're absolutely right. It's not easy to use, is it? No, no. And the other thing is uh, pretty easy privacy is compatible to PGP. So if you have figured out PGP and somebody else has pretty easy privacy, you could talk to them over PGP. Um, but basically, if you're familiar with the concept of opportunistic encryption, uh, the idea is if I don't have a man in the middle and I just attach my public key to my first email message um, and the other person supports it, then they can just start sending me encrypted messages back, right? And we don't have to worry about all of this web of trust and key verification and so on. We can do this optionally, additionally, but, you know, if there wasn't a man in the middle on the first time, then afterwards we're at least somewhat private, uh, given that we have an encrypted end-to-end -end channel. So that's the very high-level concept of pretty easy privacy. And obviously, there's more. And you can have uh, the pet people come here to talk to you as well. But the exciting thing is we're talking to them to integrate email payments using Talar to do email payments with their software. So we're trying, you know, it's, no code has been written. But in principle, you can attach a Talar payment to an email as well. 
And you know, if you receive it, then you go to the exchange and say, I got money by email, great. Um, and the next step that we want to then do is have a policy where you can say, uh, if you're not in the list of people I like, and you send me an unsolicited email, you better attach a five cent payment before it comes into my inbox. Otherwise, it ends in my spam folder. And you get this automatic thing coming back saying, hey, the, the, the receiver of your email won't read it unless you attach a dollar payment. And at that point, spam is dead. Indeed. And I can see uh, that being extend, extended for telephone calls as well. So we can say, uh, if you want to talk to me, you actually have to uh, lodge a, uh, a bit of payment up front in escrow. And then if I don't like what you're trying to talk to me about, then I keep the money. Yeah, and that would and put off most unwanted calls anyway. Yeah. What I should mention, I can do refunds. So even if you are giving me an anonymous payment, I don't know who you are. I can give you your money back without ever learning who you are. But it has to go back to the person who originally paid me. So in yeah. this email scenario, I can say, you know, you pay me a euro to, for me to read your email. Oh, you're this long forgotten friend from 20 years ago. Oh, let me please refund you your money. I'm very sorry. You know. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. I, I think that that potentially has massive uses um, dealing with spam and spit being spit being the telephony version of spam. So yeah, I could yes. get really enthusiastic about that. So, so, so we've not yet talked to anybody who does voice, but uh, if somebody wants to do this for well, you know phone calls, well, you are talking to in some the infrastructure deep enough to do it, you know. Well, you, yeah, well, you are now us. because that's what we do. Communications. Yeah, we we're, we're communications people, uh, and uh, yeah, we do voice and messaging and uh, and little things like mobile mobile infrastructure. So. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I had not considered that before, and that is a particularly useful use case. But in order to make it work, we've got to convince somebody to do some exchanges, the, the gateways, with real money so that we can play with real money. So perhaps we're going to have to become an exchange ourselves, perhaps, in order to do that. I don't know. I don't mind. Just do it. I mean, the, 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 of course, you have to, for each of these protocols, think about how am I going to attach the payment to the thing, you know, sending uh, uh, the payment requires a bit more bandwidth than anybody can fit it to an SMS. Uh, but, you know, an MMS where you have a bit more than 160 characters would be sufficient. Um, well, I, well, I think it actually it should be possible to embed it into the mobile system because uh, one thing that mobile networks are very, very good at is, um, is making payment settlements between the different networks. Uh, and a lot of the complexity in the, in the signaling system is to do with exactly that. And so uh, I believe that a mobile network could set itself up as, uh, as an exchange for Tala. Uh, I would never say it couldn't. I, I have only the impression that developing uh, extensions to mobile standard and getting people to agree on it is typically a very complicated process involving many players and uh, usually lots of patents. Um, yeah, that, so... that, 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 that's true. Until you meet uh, an outfit like, uh, like our little outfit who, who tend to do things internally using open source and free software but then at the edges you adhere to all the three gpp standards that's the way we we deal with it and so yeah, but uh, then the question is, if, I, if i'm past your edge and i'm on the three gpp thing how would i pay to be able to call you right so that, that's i mean it's the usual problem i think the answer to that is we we use the the standard three gpp mechanisms for payment on the three gpp side uh, and they're pretty well defined and developed. Uh, not particularly efficient, mind, but, uh, but they're there. 
So you can as okay. Yeah, so so you basically you, you would use a, a Tata payment provider and hook that up to the three GPP uh, payments. Correct. Um, yeah, because then, one one mobile network operator can extract funds from another in in return for traffic or a service. I mean that's well well that, defined. That sounds very interesting. I should point out a, a, a one thing here that we skipped so far, which is that the Tata Exchange performs something we call aggregation. So the idea is that you, as a as a merchant, you you know, if you have this website and you're selling articles for zero point one cents, uh, you know, you don't want to trigger uh, an ACH transaction for every time you sell an article. So what the exchange does by default, it batches uh, payment requests. It says, okay, you know, the merchant can specify, you know, only send me money if it's uh, you know after two weeks or if it exceeds a certain amount. And so so it basically says, okay, I'm going to take all of these microtransactions. And once they have exceeded a certain threshold, then I'm going to send you the 1,000 euros in one big chunk, as opposed to having sent you, you know, one cent 10,000 times. And yeah. that, that way we reduce the fees that we would have to charge because we do one big transaction as opposed to lots of small transactions. And the system has an API to allow you to say, well, I received this one big transaction. Give me a list of all the small transactions you aggregated here. Okay. And so in the end, when you I withdraw will, I, money, I, I, you withdraw one large amount over the existing system. And when you pay, you pay on large amount of the existing system, thereby aggregating on both ends. That is incredibly useful. I can see another use case for that, where you have a bi-directional flow of transactions. But um, what you want to, you don't want to raise two um, invoices, for want of a better word, payment requests going in opposite directions. What you want to do is to subtract the smaller one from the bigger one, and then then only issue one payment request if that makes sense because other, that otherwise it makes sense except for you that you can't do because again you don't know who the customer was in that regard and typically the merchant doesn't you know necessarily want to pay well, no, with tata no but no of course you could you're happy that the payments have been made but uh we're talking about in, in the mo mobile world it's the inter-operator settlement you don't want okay, if you have multiple exchanges, they could yes. do that. But that kind of federation protocol we did not implement yet because it also exists. So this kind of uh, inter-exchange settlement thing, you would want to look at uh, Stellar or Ripple because they effectively do exactly that. So they are uh, a blockchain-based intra-bank settlement system okay, where it's not about do, processing tiny payments. How do you spell Stellar and Ripple? R-I-P-P-L-E and S-T-E-L-L-A-R. Um, so, so they have effectively been trying to build this kind of system for intra-bank settlements that would replace something like ACH, where you then go and say, okay, you know, between the big providers, uh, we have lots of transactions going back and forth between us. But for the consumer payments that what we what we are dealing with, uh, the merchant doesn't usually act as a consumer, right? So in that sense, it doesn't make sense. The flow of money always goes in what pretty much one direction. It doesn't go back a lot. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. So. Now you well, Christian. I, I have to thank you because you just planted a seed, which I'm going to go away and think about now. This concept, even Randy's getting excited about this now. Looking at his comments on IRC, this concept of um, being able to um, get people to pay to talk to you again. Uh, if you want to talk to me, you Strangers. have to. Lock, yeah, you. Just people. Yeah, you. To talk to you. You, you have to lodge some kind of payment, unless I know you. Well, in other words, compared to the system where you get the email back going, I have subscribed to the Mashnatata system, and you have to email it back. You know, there's that 
one act that comes back, but still any spammer or anybody can do that. Whereas they're not going to pay when they're sending a million emails out. Uh, and the same goes for the calls. And you know what? In the United States, I have never in France gotten on my cell ever a prospection call, a, sp a spam call, a spit spit call. Yeah, me neither. That's why spit wasn't quite on my radar. You know, yeah, I, I no, don't get those. Not to mention, yeah. I don't use phones very much. So, well, you, but, well, well they Christian, do you would, they do you US, would get. You would get them on fixed lines. We do get occasionally get them on fixed lines. Uh, and the most popular one, by the way, is a really annoying one that says uh, that the government requires certain things and you have to call this number back. That's such an irritating call. And I'm sure a lot of people have fallen for it. But my point is that um, here in the United States, I'm starting to get them every day. And every time I change phone numbers, I get more and more. And now the latest thing, uh, we've talked about this on, on here before, is that they are choosing a local area code to call you in the United States so that it looks like, oh, this might be somebody. And then you, you answer it and it's some, you know, are you paying too much for health insurance? <laughs> and no, none of these would happen if somebody had to pay the money because they would be immediately bounced and never come back. Whereas your friends and even the, you know, girl in high school from 40 years ago, they're going to pay knowing that they can get it back. This would become common knowledge, of course, yes. that if you're legit, We'll pay well, your money back. In fact, for, no, for the email system, what we plan to do is very simple. What we just say is if you pretty much you, you get the email, and if you within 10 seconds to click on the delete button, you keep the money. If you keep reading it for an hour, you know, re, you refund the money. That's excellent. <laughs> right? That's brilliant. Basically, you can, you can set a threshold or to say if it's being deleted very quickly, you know, don't pay the money back, and other, otherwise, automatically do pay it back. Yeah. Of course, you That's can excellent. have override buttons in either direction, but you don't have to even think about it. And that would be the culture, right? And if you stay That's on great. the phone with your telemarketer for an hour, well, it must have been a good call, right? Or if it was your senator calling or whatever. Right? Uh, and, and they know. Right? We just have to actually keep the person engaged for long. But if they hang up on us, it's going to cost us badly. Yeah. yeah. So that would be the idea, I think, interface. Because you don't want to have to go and say, oh, I have to now type in my phone this complicated thing to give you the money back. But if you just go, oh, telemarketer, click. <laughs> Thank you. I just got rich. <laughs> Right, so that's how I would do it in the user interface. Excellent. Uh, Christian, a question. A couple of questions. Uh, one just escaped me, but I will be back to that. How does the system scale uh, going to very large amounts of transactions? Uh, uh, first. The Second, yeah, where, uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, they, it came back to me. How and where do we set a, the threshold I want to be paid to get your uh, calls, a call from someone? Would that be to the individual to establish, or uh, would it be a distributed system where everyone, more or less, has to pay the same to speak with anyone else? How do you see that? Uh, for the email system, the idea was simply that you would configure this in your email client, right? And if you're the president of the United States, you set it to a million dollars. And if you're you know, just me, you might say, I'm fine with five dollars. Uh, and that is basically your personal threshold. Of course, you can say, you know, my friends need to be able to pay that upfront and risk it, so to speak. So you don't want to make it too high. On the other hand, you want to make it not so low that you're being annoyed. And I think you can pretty much quickly find out that, oh, yeah, for one euro, I wasn't annoyed for that telemarketer call. <laughs> you know, it was worth it. Right? Maybe, you maybe say, you well, can. Uh... Are worth more, and then you set it higher. Uh, maybe sorry, Christian. Maybe. Sorry, uh, sorry, guys. Maybe you can have a white list of people that don't, doesn't have to pay anything. Oh, of course. But my assumption is that you have some friends that didn't make it into your white list, right? 
and, and yeah. you will okay. always miss out somebody who contacts you that you knew 20 years ago and suddenly found you or whatever. And, and so you have to pick the threshold not too high to prevent these people from contacting you. Yeah, and or I would say their email sorry. or phone number as well. Sorry, I would. I would see that functionality as being something that the network operator would put in to build into the mobile network as a bit of value added. And then mm -hmm. that would, in turn, uh, give the customer a good reason for signing up with that mobile network operator because you want this protection against spit and spam. Uh, therefore, you will choose this, um, this super duper new um, mobile network operator to do it. Premium service. Yeah. And you'd be willing just, to pay, just, pay just pay make sure when you implement an idea, you use Tyler for the settlement, right? Yeah. I, I, well, yeah, it's locked in my mind. You, you, you've, I, I can't thank you enough for that, Christian. You've, you've actually uh, planted a seed, which I'm really going to go away and think very hard about now, because I can and see how you... Let me ask you the second question. Yeah. It's so got to be So uh, the Tyler exchange has to do some crypto uh, when it receives a payment. It's very limited crypto, but you know you can paralyze it by just you know just like you set up any web server, just you know set up a hundred thousand front ends and you can handle it like Google does, right? Just you know round robin the traffic over some load balancer, do DNS round robins, whatever techniques exist there for scaling web applications. Uh, similarly, on the backend side, the database has to do a check that there isn't any double spending. Uh, but for that, it has to look at the respective coin's public key, and a coin's public key is pretty much as random as we can get, which means we can perfectly shard the database. So again, the database uh, has transactions in it, uh, but each transaction is limited to one hash value, and it's a cryptographic hash value, which means you can say, I can look at the hash value, say, okay, this data center, this machine is responsible for transactions that match this range of the hash space, which means, again, you can achieve perfect scalability uh, uh, on the backend side. And now the, the biggest complexity you have left is you have to take all of your front ends and shard them against all of your back ends. Because when a request comes to a front end, you don't know which back end is going to be yet. So you have to have some you know, mesh between the front ends and back ends. But again, uh, that's still pretty simple. Uh, in terms of transactions, transaction rates, um, the number of transactions you can do on a modern machine is extremely high. You know, it's, it's basically... Uh, the transaction per transaction cost we estimated was like you know one millionth of a dollar, right? Uh, so so you will be able to you know run a small data center and you can run Mastercard, Visa card on this. And the other thing is you you do it in one currency. So you would want to run that data center for euros in Europe, for dollars in the, in the US. Uh, you know you don't have one global thing. And the and uh, I also mentioned all coins, all of the keys in our system expire eventually. As a user, you won't notice even if the keys for your wallet expire because the wallet will just get use the mechanism to getting changed to get fresh coins and effectively change from the old keys to the new keys, uh, which means we do not have this problem of an ever-growing database. All transactions can eventually be discarded. Uh, the, the typical duration where we have to keep them is something like six years for regulatory reasons, where the government says you have to keep everything for six years because it's financial records. Uh, but after six years, you can discard everything, and it's not like the blockchain where the transaction uh, log will grow forever. Uh, so no data has to be kept around forever, and we expect linear scalability uh, for both backends and frontends. Christian, are you, located in, are you in Europe right now? I'm in Switzerland right now. That's what I thought. Well, yeah, I meant the continent. Uh, and I'm asking because it's, it looks like it's light outside still. Are you getting hungry or thirsty because it's 7.15 or 7.20 there? 
720 is okay if you still have questions so well i was getting to that we're actually running we can keep going if anybody does have any questions but i was thinking we could also let you go if you wanted to all right any other questions then christian's ready to stay for a while he's making funny signs no i think we have kind of uh extended uh our session anyway here. Fantastic. Well, this ends on a really beautiful, positive note, because James has an idea. That's always good and dangerous. And uh, Christian, thanks very much. I know that uh, we had a little initial difficulty making this happen, but you've been a very generous uh, guest with your time, and I appreciate the fact that uh, you did the Hangout. Well, uh, so thanks for coming, and do keep in touch. And don't rush do, off, keep because we, we normally have a little after segment where after we Cut the live transmission. Okay. Indeed. Thank we you call for having me. And I'll stay in for a second. Excellent. Okay, so stick around. We have a mature audiences segment. But before we do, I want to make sure that everybody knows that next week we have the person who is responsible for creating Mastodon. And Mastodon is much more interesting than you think. And it's really uh, expanding daily. There's a huge uh, number of servers, and it's about federation. And these are topics that we are all very interested in. So be there September 1st, same time, same station. Thanks everybody for participating and we will check you on the other side. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.